Oh, it's Phil Croshaw again, and in this episode of Passions, I'm thrilled to be joined by Julia Fry from Extreme E. Enjoy. Hello and a very warm welcome to this edition of Passions. And today I'm quite excited actually because I'm going to be talking to Julia Fry from Extreme E. So if you're wondering now what Extreme E is about, you're soon going to find out. So a very warm welcome to Passions, Julia. Tell us who you are, what you do and what your passion is. Hi, Phil. Um, very nice to, to be joining you today. Um, yeah, my name is Julia Fry. I'm the head of communications for Extreme E. And I'll tell you exactly what that is as we go through this. Um, but essentially, it's electric racing. Uh, it's one of the, well, I think it's the newest motorsport going. Um, it's about racing in remote environments in places affected by climate change so that we can essentially use sport for purpose and uh, helping to move towards clean energy, transport, mobility, all ways of life um, that help have a lower impact on the planet. And if we can help combat climate change. Absolutely wonderful. And today is the 8th of July, the night after we've got to mention it, haven't we? The, the fact that football's it. one step <laughs> closer to coming home. Uh, England last night uh, beat Denmark in the semi-final to get to the final. And uh, so I think it's fair to say that it would be inappropriate not to talk about that game or at least get your insights into that game, especially in a t under a topic of passions. Oh, well, yes. And I forgot my passion there. Let's start there. Um, my passion is, is sports and communication. Um, I played sports from a young age, football. I was one of the only girls growing up at school who played football. I captained my school, went on to play in university. Um, you know, sport for me has always played a massive role in my life. And so last night was amazing. I mean, it's big moments like that, football, when you uh, when you bring a nation together. I mean, sport unifies like nothing else. I mean, we've had... I found myself thinking last night, well, brilliant, because we've had such a bad year. Our country needs this. It's moments like that and Olympics um, that really tie us together and unify. But then at the same time, I was thinking I was sad for the team that loses because everyone in the world has needed it this year. So it happens to be us, finally. Um, I think luck was on our side a little bit last night, but it's <laughs> so often been against us that, to be honest, we have to take that in sport. Um, so, yeah, super exciting, um, ready for the final on Sunday. and got to keep the the belief that we can do it but yeah I think last night was um a really good example leading into today of why sport should you know can be a passion um and you know it has such a greater sort of effect when when things go well absolutely fantastic so yeah and it, I, you're right it was so galvanizing I think last night maybe unless unless you live in Scotland or Wales but we'll, we'll leave that one for now uh, but it was so galvanizing wasn't it um, to see everybody together and what I, I also thought was really interesting as a as a business consultant business coach myself in my day job as it were uh, it was amazing how much I, I saw mention of the fact that the similarities between what people in small businesses and businesses and careers and startups and all the rest of it can, can take 
from what they were experiencing last night and they were seeing in terms of leadership, especially from uh, Gareth Southgate? Absolutely. I mean, sport translates so well into real life and, you know, business situations. It's all about teamwork at the end of the day. It's all about, you know, um, celebrating success, but also when things are hard, never giving up. Um, you know, leadership is a thing. Teamwork is a thing. Uh, it's all things that we experience in our in our daily work careers, or at least I, I do. And I've always sought out those sort of team experiences and that's how I see success um, is through teamwork and, and leadership and and learning and also you know understanding failure. I mean, being an England fan and a Southampton fan, I understand failure quite well um, at times. Um, but it's about you know also recognizing when you have success, not just going on to the next one, but learning how you got that success, what worked well, um, and sort of analyzing situations so that you can replicate that. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot that we can take from uh, from a business sense um, from the sports. I don't think um, I'm going to feel too sorry for you because as a Bolton <laughs> fan, trust me, I have had a lot more pain than you, Julia. That's all I can say on the matter. Yeah, I guess at least we're in the big <laughs> leagues. But we've been down there. We've uh, yeah, got. I, I remember a double season of, I think, double relegation one couple of years. But we're back up there now. So yeah, I mean... We can certainly have a talk about failure and um, disappointment, but uh, it sounds like you know where I'm coming from there. Oh, I certainly do. I certainly do. Brilliant. Okay, so uh, let's just talk a little bit now about then Extreme E. Uh, obviously, as I was saying before we came on, I got, got, got quite excited about it because I watched the race, uh, uh, the last race in, was it Senegal, I think it was? Senegal, yes. Yeah, yeah. and um, I just I was just hooked right from, the, right from the word go. So tell me how you got involved in Extreme E, and then for those people that don't really know what the heck we're talking about, what exactly is Extreme E? Um, well, I think I was super lucky and I think it was all about the right time and, and sometimes things work out just when they should. Um, I was working at the Clip Around the World Yacht Race previous to this for six odd years um, and realised that it was time to do something new. Um, it was the right timing and it, it, at exactly the same time I was thinking about that, I saw this opportunity on LinkedIn for something called Extreme E, uh, which I hadn't really heard of before then. I think it had launched like the month before, so I had to, to give it a little look up. And as soon as I read about it, I mean, it just ticked every single box for me. It was about racing in remote environments, places that I'd never been to. When you know we're going to the ice cap in Greenland next uh, month, um, which you know you just don't normally get the chance to go places like that. Um, I've travelled a lot in sports, so it's it's hard to find some places that I haven't really been so far. Um, but then it also had this this purpose driven aspect to it, which is is built into the very sort of fibre of its creation, which is about using sport for purpose. And in this sense, it's about raising awareness and hoping to, you know, create action. Um, you know, the transport sector contributes to about 30% of global emissions. And that is huge. And we are at the beginning of probably the biggest shift in transport that we've ever um, heard of since wheels and motors were invented. Uh, we're heading into electrification. And I think we, we're now understanding as a, as a planet, you know, the, the sense of... Um, uh, action and uh, consequence and you know we, we need to move towards clean mobility um, in order to you know slow down what's happening to our planet if we, if we want a good future um, so I just it gripped me Im immediately um, what was also quite nice where it's a new sport and nobody had heard of it um, you know the passion that I felt from those that were already running it on the inside so you know Alejandro Gag, Ali Russell who's our 
um, you know, he's our, he's our engine, our powerhouse, who drives it all from the inside. The way they spoke about it, even though I had never heard about Extremely before, I knew that it was going to go somewhere and that these guys had ambition. Um, so, yeah, it ticked every box. And over the last two, two, two and a half years, we've been able to build a sport from an absolute blank slate, create our own sporting format, um, which is terribly exciting, um, launch it, bring it to to the fans and it seems to be going well and it's so so gratifying when we hear people like you who are obviously sports fans you're into your motorsport to say that you're watching it you're enjoying it because that is a huge sense of sort of achievement and that's you know very satisfying yeah and of course it must be um from a pr point of a communications point of view it must help no end the fact that you've got names like lewis hamilton involved and nico rosberg and jensen button so real names from your point of view in terms of getting people's attention which we all know what it's about in pr getting people's attention in the first place and engagement uh, having those sorts of people involved must be quite uh, helpful um massively helpful yes i mean when i first had that chat with ali um before you know it only just launched he mentioned names like, you know, we're going to have the biggest names in this sport. And I kind of, I, I believed him because you, when you speak to Ali, everything he says is believable because it's done with such passion. Um, but to actually pull that off and be part of the inside story of how we did that. I mean, the, the guys running Extremely have endless passion, ambition. And to have, yeah, Lewis Hamilton, Jensen Button, Nico Rosberg, Carlos Sainz, Sebastian Loeb, we've just signed McLaren. I mean, for a, a series to do that before we even went racing um, was just incredible. Um, but I think it's a sign of the times. I think people know that we're heading towards a new sort of future, a new um, way of doing motorsport. And, and Alejandro Gag has tapped into, you know, how to make this mainstream exciting, kind of reinvent sporting formats that have been around for years and years and actually bring a whole new sort of lens to them. I think our goal with Extreme E was to just do things differently, break boundaries. Um, it was obviously started with Formula E, which I think took the industry by storm. Um, but this is going a step further and we're you know, really getting out into places where you can see climate change happening. And I think people care. I think people, when they're faced with it and understand the facts, they do care. We are all in this together. Um, but it's certainly helpful from a communications point of view when you have the big names of people that uh, you really look up to in the sport, whether you like electrification uh, on board with that idea or not, you're on board with those sort of heroes of the sport. And when they sort of evangelize that message for you, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. And I know from my own pers my own point of view, when I was, uh, when I was watching the race um, and then suddenly they said, right, okay, yeah, we've got Lewis Hamilton on zoom. Um, he's going to zoom in and talk to the drivers straight away whether it's consciously or even subconsciously, the credibility of the sport goes to the next level, you know, and then you, you go into the control room. I don't know if that's the official title for it. You go into the control area, the support area, yeah. and, you know, Nico, Riz, Nico Riz, uh, Rosberg is actually stood there with his headphones on. Straight away, you think, oh, this is credible. The other thing that I noticed as well was that because, because of the environments and because of the nature of the extreme elements of, what in effect is almost like four by four racing in context of, of what people might recognize. Um, the speed wasn't the key factor. You know, you weren't comparing the speed of a Formula E car with a Formula One car because the actual excitement was the the movement of the cars and the fact they shoot in the air, God knows how high, and people are being rocked about, in the, the drivers are being rocked about. 
And of course, the other great thing as well, which you can, I would like you to talk about actually, is um, the emphasis on the equality thing in that you've got a female driver and a male driver, and ultimately it's their team performance that's going to make the difference. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, obviously when it <clears throat> when it was first launched, the idea was around awareness around climate change, but we realised that, you know, sport has this incredible platform for, for just doing good and positivity. Um, and when we were, you know, we literally used to um, talk around a boardroom around decisions around sporting formats and things. Um, and it was brought up, you know, we've never actually had a, a gender equal sporting format in motorsport. Why not? It, it exists in other sports, in tennis and, you know, um, water sports and things, but it's not happening in motorsport. Why not? And uh, we couldn't answer why not. So, um, yeah, it, it evolved. Um, and I thought it was it wasn't necessarily a brave move. It just wasn't hadn't been done before. And I think it's harder when other sports have to sort of adapt and bring in new rules. But when you have a blank slate and can write your own rules, I just love the open mindness um, uh, of the series and, and the guys running it to, to say, yes, this could be a platform for 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 many things and equality you know more and more increasingly we we're all considering it now uh, and it's great to see you know more females being given opportunities not just in motorsport but sport in commentary and uh, presenting roles in in business everything i mean what the answer when people say why we just always say why not why not uh, yeah. And yeah that's the, i think that's what sets extremely apart in you know, more than being out in these remote environments, because there are things like the Dakar Rally. It's not fully new to be out in remote environments playing sport, um, but it is new to to be seeing, I think, males and females working together in the same championship at the same time, because a lot of the time it will be the guys play first and then you have to stay around and watch the females and everybody switched off <laughs> yeah. at that point. Putting them in the same car at the same time, all having equal um input on the success of the team standing on the podium together it's incredibly powerful and it's so exciting i can't tell you it's, it's brilliant yeah there's a lot of people probably watching this including my good self that are very jealous of you right now julia i'm not going to lie you know there's a bit of envy flowing at the moment in terms of uh, but then at the same time you know you you saw the ad you know this is a thing we talked about but talk a lot with clients about taking action you saw the ad Maybe a lot of people saw the ad and thought, oh, I'm not sure, maybe. And then the time went by and they didn't apply. You took the action and you applied. And then you, I guess you did the research when you did the interview, you were prepared. So I, I do challenge people. A lot of people say on, on this, we've done so many interviews now, I'm probably heading towards 100 fairly soon. And I hear this a lot about, I, I got, I was lucky. And I tend to, I do tend to challenge it, Julia. I'm sorry, I just, I do, because I think people just take for granted what they did in order to increase their chances of of, of that success. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm the first to say to anyone, "Oh, I was lucky. I was lucky." But you, you do at some point have to give yourself some credit and also recognise what what went well across around the way. Because I, I mean, I do, I do feel very lucky. So when people say, you know, they're envious or I'd love to be doing that. I do. I do feel lucky. I never take it for granted. Um, but the lead up, I, I didn't just click a link and apply and was lucky. I guess what happened is the experiences that led up to that point that stand out on your CV. Uh, and I think you you can create your own luck by pursuing things and um, I guess making the most of relationships. I, I don't think I ever go into a relationship thinking, what can I get out of this? But my 
my passion is people and communications. And if you communicate well, you build relationships that have good basises, it gets you into sort of roles and, and experiences. And they they sort of, I guess they've just started snowballing for me. Um, I think I, I was lucky in the sense of how I first got into my career. Um, I did my degree in public relations and it involved a year in industry. Um, I loved sport, as we say, I grew up playing football. So my target was to, to work in football. Uh, so I, I was lucky in the sense that my university had good links. Um, somebody that did my course was running the communications at Arsenal Football Club. They ran an internship for Arsenal. I was the only girl in my PR course that really liked football. So when I walked into that interview and could tell them all their, you know, the stats around football and, and why I was interested in the role, I got it. And I, I think I've, I think it led me into my career. But um, yeah, leading up to Extreme E, I've done uh olympics uh started in vancouver and london and marathons in uh in london new york chicago uh wimbledon uh, you know the clipper race even even though it wasn't a high as high a profile as some of those you know roles it's it was hard it was uh often in communications it's easy if you're working for the olympics or arsenal you don't have to work hard to be proactive but you're, if you're in a smaller sport like sailing you have to work really hard to be proactive and, and make noise about that um, so yeah, I think when I came to apply for Extreme E, they saw that I'd traveled a lot for work, which, you know, you have to, um, I guess sports, sports, hard work. So when you say lucky, you know, to get here, we've done a lot of hours of work to weigh a lot, tried to, you know, balance life when everyone was, all of my friends were getting married and having children. I, I haven't done that yet. I've focused on career and, and travel and things. So it, it often does come at a cost. Um, you know, relationships are harder to maintain when you're on the road all the time. It's not always that glamorous. Um, when I was doing the sailing, we used to literally have, you know, 24 hour days where you'd be up all night doing boat arrivals in the pouring rain in Uruguay. But at the same point, you could never complain because you'd either be somewhere like, you know, Uruguay or even I, I remember having a terrible night um, up on my own all night in Jamaica of all places. And when I called home to say, oh, I've had a really stressful night. My parents were like, but you're in Jamaica, you know, <laughs> we're stuck at home. I was like, well, yes, but it can be stressful still. But then I realized, you know, you have the small winds, like you might have worked all night, but you got to see the sunrise. And how often, you know, when I'm sat here during COVID, it's those moments that, you know, keep you, keep you going, the memories. Yeah, so, yeah, gosh. I mean, I do feel lucky. Bottom line, I do feel very lucky, but I do, I do think you can create your own luck. Yeah, no, it's absolutely right. Uh, and of course, um, yeah, as, as, as we said, we're recording this, uh, hopefully what we think is towards the end-ish of the pandemic crisis, albeit nobody's really quite sure, are they? Nobody's going yeah. down to Ladbrokes just yet and putting a bet on. Um, how have you coped with that? Because, um, you know, for somebody who's traveling all the time and is passionate to uh, about it and enjoys it so much, has it been... A little bit of a break from it or has it been a nightmare in terms of what you used to um it's been a little bit of both um i was commuting you know five days a week and it's quite a long commute we live down in southampton so i was you know two hours each way to work on a train that's why you know passions come into it you have to be passionate about what you do um so the balance of being home more uh, and not traveling has been brilliant. I didn't know how I'd cope with that because uh, I've always just been on the go and traveling. Um, but actually I really enjoyed it. We 
you know, we're very lucky to have a house that I enjoy spending time in. Um, obviously did all the things like, you know, you pour your time into um, home decor and, you know, building a bar in the back garden and things for your friends to come over to uh, when they co could anyway. Um, but I think, I mean, to be honest, I've had the, the busiest year in the sense that we would just worked all the way through it for Extreme E. We were trying to launch a series during COVID. I mean, the whole of last year, I, I don't think, even though I was home, my husband probably didn't see me even more. That makes, uh, maybe doesn't make a lot of sense, but I was just buried in the laptop. We didn't stop. I've never worked so hard as the last year. Um, you know, especially in communications during a pandemic, you, uh, I, guess, I guess for a sport, we were lucky in that we weren't having to, you know, halt our season and adapt to um, the issues that most sports had uh, when they didn't have any sport going on. But we were still focused on, yeah, launching a sport during COVID, trying to land sponsors, teams to to want to come in and invest in in a new series when, you know, there's a global pandemic. Um, but I don't think I'd have got the full ability to focus full time on it if we hadn't been at home. Um, that comes with its own issues. You have to find balance. And when it gets to 10 p.m. each night and the laptop's still still going, you have to learn when to to stop. So. I, I wish there'd been a bit more balance. Sometimes I was a bit jealous of friends going on furlough, but equally, you know, we have security in that in that job. So, um, yeah, it's, I've learned that I can be home. I've really liked it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of value that you get from being home too, which was a good lesson to learn that I could sit still. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. It, it is about adapting, isn't it? And um, how, how important is, it's probably a silly question really, but, how important has the technology been in terms of coping and moving forward? You know, I, I joke sometimes with people like that. I've been uh, interviewing people for good many, many years, and Zoom was a normal way of interviewing people remotely. Um, yeah. And I, if ever I mentioned it in passing to somebody, the, the, and I mentioned Zoom, they thought it was a nice lolly. And now all of a sudden, you know, you mention it, people know it, people are more confident, you know, there's also that isn't there of don't point that camera towards me and now people are jumping on and talking and and chatting and in fact almost it's gone to the other extreme where they're tired of it a little bit what do they call it zoom weary they call it don't they? So how important has all that been in terms um, of uh, keeping things moving massive i would say both on the business and the social sense i mean from a business perspective you know, Extreme E was always built around not having fans on site. So we've always had to think about, you know, interactivity, virtual streaming, you know, accessing um, the site without actually being there. So Zoom, I mean, I think COVID has pushed forward the IT and sort of technology um, that we have in a virtual spent sense by, you know, 20 odd years. Um, it, it, it created a necessity. And I think for our business, it was amazing. Um, you know, we were always going to be planning to do things virtually, but it, obviously the technology has just allowed that to be um, uh, so much better and uh, people just to find that normal. Um, from a social sense, I mean, the beginning, I'm sure like all of us at the beginning, we were all inviting to each, each other to different Zoom parties. Um, my sister lives in Argentina. So, you know, being able to have connection was so important and to be able to connect the family together um, I guess it normalized it for like my parents because they've, you know, they've, I think it's been huge for people that have been on their own. You know, I've been lucky that I've had neighbors that are nearby that you could meet in the park or go for a walk with. But for my parents um, and older people that might be scared about getting out, I think it's been a really, really key way to communicate. Um, 
I think we've reached the point now where I love just having phone calls over over Zooms because it's quite tiring. Um, I actually had to go to the chiropractor because I'm probably doing it now, but I would I realized that when you're looking at Zoom, I kind of look forward into it and I don't know why, but um, created all these like neck issues, which I have to be really careful about. Um, but yeah, I, I love now the balance of actually seeing people in person and having a phone call, but Zoom certainly, you know, it's just been such a big part for all of our lives really, isn't it? It's funny you should say that because I have had a couple of people say to me, do you mind if we just have a phone call? Yeah, honestly, I love it when, because I think we were at the stage when yeah. you could do eight or nine back-to-back -back Zoom meetings in a day. And it's it's a brilliant way of connecting when you can see people and, you know, gauge off their reactions. Um, and But now it's like, can we? if it's not more than two people, it's uh, nice just to have a phone call, I think. Yeah, well, this absolutely. is great. It's great to actually see you, Phil, of course. Yes, of course, absolutely. And it's not great for me to see you because you've got all that, all that lovely hair and I ain't got any. No, but sorry, then that's life. It. That's the way, it, you know, throw the dice and that's what happens. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so let, let's talk a little bit about communication and PR, which fascinates me because I have a background corporate. Part of my background was I was headed, headed up communications in Thomas Cook Travel Company in Peterborough. Yeah. Um, and um, and now my day job, if you like, is business development, of which is key part is sales and marketing, of course, and digital media. Um, what do you? What would you say has changed most in communication terms in your area of expertise in the last, I don't know, what five or ten years? Um, I think there's a lot more emphasis. I think. People seem to be trying to take out the middle channel of media and, and communications and actually speak direct to fans, you know, creating there's so much more emphasis on, you know, creating your social media audience, you know, as a series or as an athlete, even athletes are now rather than having to rely on the communications through, uh, you know, their club or a series, it's, it's being able to speak directly to fans you know, things like streaming channels and TikToks and you're, you're getting more of an insight into the people that play sport or, you know, the, the key spokespeople. Now, if your CEO or your athlete doesn't have their own social media channel, it's unheard of, um, which I think is probably frustrating for journalists and PRs in a sense, because you're not being that that um, creative sort of uh, middle person. You, I, I think that, you know, communications is just adapted now that you've got many more channels to use as well. Um, it's not just your traditional means. It's you know, before it would be about you really using the power of print journalism. I'd say online is is now the way that we put our emphasis um, and social media channels and, and growth of audience. Um, you know, I think there's more there's more scope, there's more options. We have to be very adaptable to new technologies. It's, you know, once you've mastered Zoom, you're on to um, podcasts and, you know, audio has come back in. That was that's been huge, isn't it? Um, I think as communications, we've got so many more tools open to us, but then that in themselves can create more issues. You've got more to manage. There's more ways to, I guess, open yourself up to, um, I wouldn't say crises, but issues. If you tweet something that's, um, you know, not uh, not great for the brand or, you know, it, it's, it's all searchable. It, it stays there online, doesn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah. One of those dreaded moments when um, one of your maybe one of your drivers starts tweeting at 2 a.m. after six hours in the <clears> pub <throat> after the England game, that kind of thing. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think you've just got to realize that if you're 
yeah. in the public world, you know, it doesn't even have to be something you record and put out. It could be anyone like in the street filming you and, and putting something out or taking a snippet that's going to go around social media in, you know, minutes. You just have to be very careful about what you say to who because um, it can be misconstrued or, you know, picked up. Um, and we all have a voice now, you know, that's the other thing. We all, it's not just athletes and people in high profile positions that have social media now. It's all of us. We get to almost hear and see people's inner minds working, which is amazing. When you're watching sports, sometimes you can watch it via Twitter or something and everyone's sort of getting their opinions and it's a, it's a shared experience. Um, but there's just so many more channels and the landscape is so much bigger to navigate. And you also, we also talk a lot now, don't we, about authentic, being authentic. Is that is that also a, a critical factor, albeit it's a balance because you can be too authentic and be yourself totally. And so, for example, I don't know, but maybe if you and I were totally authentic, we might be using a few expletives in this conversation. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know you, so I don't know. But just maybe. 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 So, <laughs> just maybe. Exactly. Maybe. Uh, so, you know, that whole area as well of personal brand, I guess, is becoming more and more important, is it? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think, you know, the key is being authentic with your sense of authenticism, isn't it? I mean, people can spot if it's real or not. And, you know, mm. uh, I think that's important is just finding out what what really resonates with you and, and being true to that. Um, I think, you know, when you get involved in certain brands and things and if it always works better and it's more powerful and more impactful if you can you can tell it comes from a place of authenticism um and i think what what is quite nice when we talk about extreme e and this idea around sustainability is that you know we we we're better to start and put our hands up and say we're, we're not perfect we don't know everything but we're willing to learn and i think that being human is part of being authentic as well and not trying to be perfect i think you know what's bad about social media is people who I guess I'm thinking about on more on the influencer side of things who portray um, unrealistic expectations or images and they try and branch this off as being authentic. But, you know, there's more and more conversations now about influencers having to, you know, really um, be transparent about when they're using filters and things, because that all comes down to authenticity. Um, you know, it's about being being real as, as people and being real about our successes, but also our, our failures. And I think that's that's all to me what authenticism means. Yeah, and I guess that's particularly pertinent when it comes to children, of course, um, where, you know, the, and I'm going to use a general generalisation here, but young girls watching somebody who's got that filter on, you know, who's spent three hours doing the makeup or the hair or whatever it might be in that particular context, that creates an expectation that I need to look like that. So then if they're getting, I don't know, maybe a little bit of acne, which is something that it's, it's such a long time ago. I can't really remember, but I know I had a bit, um, <laughs> I think. Um, so that obviously puts that extra pressure on, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel glad that when I grew up, we didn't really have social media. We were just starting to have MySpace and then Facebook when I got into university. But I'm glad that we didn't have it growing up because I think it creates pressures on young people very early. And there's so much about social media that is positive and it really is. And the, the internet and technology, um, I, I see it being a very positive thing. Really, it's about connection. Um, but there are ways that I think it's concerning as well. Um, and I do think our younger generation have a huge amount of um, pressure 
you know, and you, and you can't, it's not something you can easily get away with it, away from. We're attached to our phones 24 seven. And it is quite nice. I wonder in the future whether the cool thing will be to sort of switch off, leave the phones at home, put them away. I mean, as somebody that's involved in brands and communication, that's a strange thing to say, but I think it, you need to get the balance right. And uh, it's, it's, I think we need to have some regulation uh, in social media, especially for younger people. There's, I think it's turning into, you know, things that create real um, issues psychologically for people. And that's, we need to consider, you know, we need to be considerate when we're we're thinking about how we communicate because it, it does have massive effect. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be one massive challenge because I think the gene is out the bottle. And um, they have actually proven, haven't they, that, uh, you know, that, that the use of a mobile, this isn't just with kids, this is adults as well. It's It's bordering on crack cocaine levels. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've you know, you've mislaid your phone or you've left your phone at home, and there's almost that it's almost like a panic. Yeah, and it's concerning, isn't it? I think mm. you know it is. Uh, I think it's all related to to dopamine hits, and you mm. know there's all been certain uh, documentaries recently um, about how social media companies, you know, constantly they like to make sure people feel connected all the time, and. Yeah, if you lose your phone, it's the biggest panic, isn't it? And sometimes, actually, when you do lose it, I've lost mine quite a few times, um, unfortunately, uh, quite careless. But um, when you do lose it or you put it down, it's actually the most liberating thing. When you go on holiday and turn it off, leave it at home, at first you've got the panic of what happens if I can't speak to somebody or if they can't get hold of me? But actually, it's the most liberating thing, and I wonder whether we'll yeah, end up having just breaks and de detox won't necessarily mean um you know going to health farms but it will just be anything that involves not having your mobile around um because it's not the end of the world if if people can't get hold of you for a few minutes generally um and it, i think it's it's just healthy isn't it but as i said i think social media and technology has many many powers for good but with anything i think we just need to get a sense of reality because i think we lose that sometimes and especially when that you know, really affects relationships and you can be sat in the same room as your family, but you're all on your devices. That's, that's sad, isn't it? Uh, so I think we need to regulate ourselves if, if we can, if we can. Are, are you seeing uh, any kind of increase in, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but is there a much, much greater demand now in terms of creativity in the communication? I guess I'm coming to it from a point of view of we're bombarded with so much stuff, arguably tidal wave volumes of content. You know, even people like me and Spencer turn up and start doing things like this, which is another thing dr driving people's attention, you know, in our literal kind of in our back bedroom, our back offices or our back studios. Um, is that something you have to think about all the time is how do you cut through the noise, I suppose, is is, is the best phrase. Um, you must be a mind reader because I just wrote down cutting through noise there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is because there's so, so much being sent out on so many channels. You know, when you're scrolling ourselves, you know, you have to think how um, when you're thinking about communications and what resonates, you have to think about your own experience as well. And, you know, we sit there scrolling through things, our, our mindsets and our, uh, I guess, our attention spans have, have decreased so much that something really needs to stand out in order for you to take notice for it. So it does it does make it harder and you have to spend a lot of time thinking about you know either what channel you're going to use whether or not you're going to use a, a long 
a long form feature or you need it to be short and snappy for social and you know everyone talks about sound bites now um people don't want to sit through long lectures anymore so you have to also work out how to package something in a very concise way that's about sort of sound bites we we like to ingest a lot and quickly um so we want that there immediately and you know i'm i'm in the bad habit now of being able to you know think that i've understood something by reading a, a title or a headline uh, and a sub paragraph but actually you know you've got to and you've got to think about your timings as well when do you put content out when's the best time to reach people um ultimately people will seek out information that they you know want to ingest i mean we we all follow things that we feel passionate about um but i think it's just about building relationships um creating sort of um I guess regularity and understanding, helping your your audience understand how you communicate and and build that relationship and and ultimately build things that are well written. You know, uh, I, I mean, it's not just about writing anymore though. It's about video, and I think more of us watch short form video now to get understand narratives. So when we communicate, it's it's not just about writing. It's also about yeah, video creation, podcasts. It's um, it is hard yeah cutting through noise is, is hard but you just have to have faith that you've got the right product you've developed the right messages and that you know your audience is is engaged and then when it comes to extreme e have you done much work or concluded at this point as to who the target audience is for extreme e is that something you've got developed at this stage yeah, we spent quite a lot of time on audience profiles. Um, you know, essentially, what Extreme is about is, a re is about reaching consumers uh, and the car buyers of tomorrow or t today and tomorrow. So that is, you know, who 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 actually buys the car in the family? Because it's not just about men when it comes to motorsport. Actually, when it comes to actually buying cars, because the goal of Extreme is to help accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles. Um, I think Formula E was very good in starting the sort of um, performance-based sort of showcasing electric vehicle performance. But what Extremely does is speak about, specifically about SUVs and cars, which can be bought. Um, we're not racing single seaters that you never see on the roads. We're racing cars um, and showing EV performance. So yeah, I think it's about people that buy cars, but also the car buyers of tomorrow, because young people um, are, are typically those that now think, what's the purpose of something? What is its impact on the planet? Um, so bringing younger generations into motorsport um, is key. And I think it's people who yeah, are involved in interest in technology and sports, um, adventure as well due to its remote, remote nature. But essentially anyone that's going to buy, make a decision about buying their next vehicle as, uh, you know, using sport to, to showcase EV capabilities is, is what, we're, what we're doing here. I often think that the the key to the green agenda and the key to the to the um, saving the planet, as it were, is making um, green or the green agenda, call it what you like, cool. And I think that what um, I think that what uh, you're doing with Extreme E is certainly helping in that process of making green cool. Um, so congratulations on that <laughs> thank you that, that comes down to a lot of our brand team who i think have done a brilliant job in kind of creating this identity but yeah i think green can be cool and i think that is our message is that it doesn't have to 
when you think about EVs or think about, you know, things that uh, are better for planet, it can all be cool. Um, and using the right people you mentioned before, Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg, that all helps to, to accelerate that image, doesn't it? Um, so it's about finding the right message. We, we talked about earlier about content, but it's finding the right message, but finding the right people who can be the vehicle for that message as well. Um, and that's, that is really key to it. And I think that's where we've succeeded in, in this sense more than maybe other competitors is just getting the right people on board to evangelize that message for you. Because sometimes if it's uh, just us that are saying it, um, then it's easy to think, well, you know, it's being written for a purpose. But when you've got other people experiencing it and then saying, wow, that that was really awesome. And it's people that you look up to. That is a, is a great way of getting through the noise, as you say, um, and really believing it. Because it has to be believable. It has to be credible. Uh, it has to be real at the end of the day. It's all about being real. Fantastic. And what a lovely way to, co to conclude. It's all about being real. Might, might I put that as a sound bite in the promo in the promotion of the show, Julia? Thanks ever so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute joy um, to hear what you got to say about Streamy. I'm now a fan. My wife might not thank you, but um, I'm certainly a fan, and I'm very much looking forward to to the next race. I think the next one is Greenland. Did you say? Yes, <clears throat> we're heading to Greenland at the end of August, which uh, will be absolutely awesome. So, thank you, Phil, for yeah taking the interest and. It's amazing to hear talking to fans. It's, it's still unbelievable. We've launched this sport and we have a following. Um, so if you ever have any questions, you want any insights, just call me anytime. Happy, always happy to talk about it. So yeah, thank you for anyone that's, that's listened. I certainly will. Thanks very much then, Julia. And I will catch you again, hopefully very soon. And maybe, who knows, actually even meet you in the real world at some point. That would be delightful. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> thank you very much, Julia. See you. Bye, everyone.